This podcast is brought to you by MercSec, the specialists in security, search, and recruitment solutions. Visit MercSec.com to connect today. Welcome to Destination Cyber, the podcast where we sit down with cyber industry leaders and movers and shakers and find out what makes them tick. We explore their careers, the mistakes they made, trials and tribulations, lessons learnt, and the invaluable insights and knowledge they've picked up along the way. Now here's your host, Lachlan Korn. Today, I'll be talking with Scott Fletcher, a cloud solution engineer for Oracle. Having worked in a variety of positions in companies such as Finns, Redshield, and OzPost, Scott has quality career experiences, which I look forward to exploring with you all today. I'm your host, Lock and Korn, and this is Destination Cyber. Hello, Scott. How are you going? Hey, Lucky. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am not too bad, not too bad. So I guess I'd like to start off with just a simple um, understanding of what, what is a cloud solution engineer. Can you give me sort of a rundown of what that actually entails? I think uh, yeah, this is probably a good start for our conversation. <laughs> in, in a lot of in a lot of industries, uh, you know, the the name that is given to your title probably or sometimes does sometimes doesn't match what you do in your day to day job. Uh, but if I talk generally, uh, solution engineer, um, yeah, we we're responsible for building things in the cloud uh, and coming up with solutions to problems that customers have or may even not know they have yet. Uh, and this is this is actually a really awesome, awesome career, and it's a really awesome role. Uh, but I've done a lot in in IT. Uh, I would also say that yeah, solution engineers often become the go-to people uh, when we talk about building things in the cloud. There are lots of people that are responsible, right, from sales, pre-sales, there's architecture support, and the uh, the solution engineer is essentially the specialist. Oh, well, specifically at Oracle. The solution engineer is a specialist that uh, all these other individuals and teams rely on mm-hmm. to make sure things work as expected for the customer. Okay, interesting. And when you when you mention the cloud, can you can you give us a bit more of a detail of what what the cloud is and what its role is within society? I, f- I feel like if this was a if this was a video recording, I'd just show you a meme. <laughs> uh, it's the, the one that comes to mind is it's not the cloud; it's just someone else's computer, mm-hmm. and that's essentially what it is. So the cloud essentially is run uh, with just data centers that run around the world um, and we loosely call them cloud. So but instead of you running your own on-prem infrastructure, your own exchange server, your own applications in a data center which you manage and thinking about that you have to manage everything from the power, where it's located, you have to run the rack, the networking equipment, the cabling. There's so many components to running a data center and it comes with extreme overhead. That's why cloud has become popular. So instead of having to uh, procure, manage, obtain, run, support, decommission, lifecycle, all of those aspects, you essentially go to a provider, a cloud provider, of which there are many now, uh, or an Oracle is one of them. Um, and essentially, instead of you running all of those things yourself and perhaps not utilizing everything to 100%, uh, you actually just essentially share a share of the data center and share the infrastructure that's provisioned for all of the customers. Uh, and obviously that's segmented off for your own little piece of the world for how you want to use it but essentially that's the cloud it's just a a shared data center and how influential is this data center i mean does is everyone basically who has a sort of connection using this cloud regardless of sort of what they know already uh are you talking about like end users yeah i mean in the sense that am i for example using clouds uh yeah so look from a from a user perspective if we think about our day-to-day lives most things run in the cloud. <laughs> so if you're if you're a you have a Hotmail, I don't know anyone. Actually, my partner has a Hotmail <laughs> account. So it applies to him. Um, but Outlook, Gmail, Apple, all of these things run in the cloud. Whether the cloud is that they run their own cloud or they use a shared cloud, public cloud is another word for that. Uh, yes, the majority of stuff is run in the cloud these days. Not many customers, although there are some, uh, and there are some industries, specifically government, and some of the more sensitive. Uh, government departments will run their own data centers for security and logistical purposes. However, yeah, the majority of stuff is running in the cloud. Mm. When we talk about businesses and organizations, a lot of them are adopting a cloud strategy because, like I said, other than just having to manage all the physical infrastructure, moving to the cloud gives you the ability to 
leverage, and I, I use this analogy a lot, it's like Lego <laughs> for IT. So instead of you having to build all the bits yourself, imagine trying to build a Lego model, but having to make the molds and then making the little Lego bricks, that just takes way too long. So imagine preformer, prefabricated services that you can leverage in the cloud to do all sorts of things. And you're actually leveraging uh, all of the work that's come before so that, yeah, you can essentially rapid prototype, you can be more agile to market. And ultimately that means you can be, can be more competitive and successful uh, against your competitors. Uh, okay, okay, I think, I think I understand. Um, and then, so I know sort of winding back a little bit here, but of course there was no sort of ultimate vision that you were going to be in the role to where you are today. So what kind of sparked sort of your general interest in, in the field of cyber, cybersecurity, IT? What, what kind of uh, set that off? Yeah, that's, a, that's always a really good question. And I have a slightly different path to getting into IT, um, and I'll, I'll cover that off. Uh, I think IT started for me when I was fairly young. I think when I was maybe 10, my parents bought a computer. Uh, and yeah, I was I was always fascinated. It was running Windows 95, uh, had like 16 megabytes of RAM <laughs> and a 400 megabyte hard drive, which I, when I look back now is ridiculous. <laughs> Although I'm actually looking at buying a classic PC, like an antique that has those kinds of specs just to play around with it again okay. for nostalgia purposes. Uh, but yeah, so I started when I was like I said, about 10. I really liked computers. I always found that I broke it all the time, so I had to <laughs> fix it. Um, and then when I was about 16, you know, I, I went to high school and the, the computing courses at school were very, very basic. Although I do remember being like banned from the computer systems for doing things like sending messages like NetSend. Uh, and you could just write a little script and you could basically DOS everyone's computer with a pop-up box that you had to click OK on. Uh, and when I was about 16, I, I got into writing computer software. So I was learning Visual Basic 6. And yeah, I actually spent more time writing computer software and learning it than actually going to school, which was always fun. Um, and yeah, so then I, I went to university for two years, well, a year and a half. I failed everything other than programming, yeah. which I got a B plus for without actually going to the classes. And then uh, in my second year, I realized that I wasn't really enjoying it whatsoever. I, a lot of the stuff that they were trying to teach us was, in my opinion, slightly outdated. And they weren't teaching us things like .NET, which was around at the time. They were trying to teach us like, COBOL and other weird languages which I had no interest in learning and so yeah from there I, I essentially went found a job in Wellington so I'm obviously from New Zealand originally and then uh, got a job uh, working for a marketing company that did some software then I worked as a consultant for a little bit also doing software development and then I worked on a project for a um, an agency to a essentially a, an external company to an agency and uh, I got involved in essentially reading a, a pen test report, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, obviously, being a developer, I write code all the time. I review code. And I'm about 23 by this age. So I, I'm obviously not that old. <laughs> and, uh, so when I started looking at this pen test report, I went, oh, there's some, there's some similarities here with some of these other projects. And I, uh, I suggested that we I essentially reviewed some of, the, some of our applications, found some problems. And instead of the company saying, hey, yeah, cool, we agree with you, let's get them fixed, they said, oh, well, no, we're going to get externally validated. Uh, and that essentially that was my my path into cybersecurity. Uh, I got essentially headhunted from, from the software world into the cybersecurity world and worked for a, a company called Aura Information Security based out of New Zealand for four or five years. Mm, very impressive. I mean, sort of coming back to sort of you mentioned that you did computer software when you were younger and the school sort of system wasn't the best and sort of the university wasn't the best so how did how did you find that you were learn how did you learn to do the coding without the schools and the university system how did you a lot of hours <laughs> and a, a, a lot of a lot of frustration uh and i think i i know it's why i'm in it because i think if you weren't you know if it if it didn't intrigue you so much you probably wouldn't put that amount of mm. time in it uh, and so, yeah, look, most of it was was learning. I had books. Um, I had some people around me as well that were writing computer software too. Uh, and some of those people now own computer gaming companies and the like. So, yeah, there, there was a lot of influential people, people I had as friends around me that were software developers or, or did work in IT. And that's, I, that definitely helped me for sure. 
Okay, and then in benefit in hindsight, would you have ever gone to uni in the first place, knowing what you know now, or? I think university suits certain types of people. Uh, and I like the idea that, yeah, there are alternative pathways to where you want to get to in life. I don't think, you know, I think maybe 10 years ago or perhaps before the advent of the internet where, you know, act, the access to information was perhaps a bit limited. So you were reliant on going to university to learn what you needed to do to be successful. The thing you learn as you get older is that is that university doesn't actually teach you how to do your job. University teaches you how to learn things. Mm. So yeah, looking back, I doubt that I would go to university uh, and do it all again. I think I might enjoy university now because I actually could probably, you know, teach some of these things. And I, I have spoken uh, to university graduates uh, there's some programs in new zealand as well that do that hire interns which is actually quite fun okay okay and in terms of then going to specifically to your career if you were perhaps an employer and looking at you know future uh, jobs or hiring would you consider then a university degree or in in a cyber thing a useful feature for someone that you might be hiring or like you said is it is it still you know if you had someone who had perhaps a bit more real life experience but no university that wouldn't change anything if you were hiring that's a really good question and i have interviewed plenty of people i've interviewed plenty of people with degrees in it computer science i've also interviewed a lot of people without it degrees or without any sort of tertiary education and i think it's 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 i think it's quite specific to the person themselves mm. i think when i look for hiring and, and obviously this differs depending on different organizations some organizations you know you look at job ads and they'll say you know must have five years industry experience must have a tertiary education degree i can tell you that me personally i've applied for those jobs and not having a degree has not uh, impeded me to obtaining the position so yeah look for Back to me, if I was to interview someone and I had two candidates, one had a degree and they had nothing else and the other person had, uh, you know, GitHub commits, they'd worked on open source projects, they'd done things proactively and, and bearing in mind that I think a lot of people think that it's expensive to learn these things. Going to university, yes, it is quite expensive. I think there are a lot of avenues that people can take to educate themselves, to demonstrate their capability and the thing i really look for is passion with people when they want to get into industry because if people aren't passionate about cybersecurity, they're going to find themselves burnt out very quickly mm. and that's not because there's huge amounts of work uh, there is a huge demand for cybersecurity individuals and skilled ones ones that are able to adapt as well uh, and there is a very short supply so there are, there is and there's a multitude of of uh, job offerings out there um, mm. but yes i think when it really comes back to it if i had two candidates one with a degree and one without and the one without had a whole range of things and when i actually spoke to them they could articulate them quite well then yeah i, I would probably choose the person that i believed would be the better better fit mm. and i guess in your when you mentioned that there is both some real life experience and the yes there is also university but in the sense that when you talk about these criteria of, you know, saying you have to have a five-year experience, you have to have this and this and that, I mean, there's also training, I'm assuming, involved within your um, pathway of work. I mean, did you have, when you get into these uh, companies, did they, were they able to train you up or was it a lot of self-learning beforehand that was then required for the job that you have been tasked or can you give me sort of an insight on, on that perhaps? Yeah, for sure. For me personally, I was very lucky. So when I got, so in software development, I essentially taught myself most of it. Obviously there were mentors. I had managers that were very capable people and they were very uh, patient with me. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I, I can just imagine me looking back at my code that I used to write when I was 19 and go, man, I don't even know how this used to work. <laughs> uh, but that's that's the whole thing of evolution, right? Yeah. I think, and this is this really comes down to yeah and it's, it's very important when people are looking for jobs that they find if you're a graduate or you're you're interning or you're you're looking to change jobs not even just specifically for people looking to break into the industry you do need to find those supportive environments 
Uh, for me personally as well, I think it really comes down to the type of individual you are and the, the way that you learn. And university, and for me personally, this is why I think I didn't like it so much. Uh, you know, there are different ways that people learn. There's there's visual, there's kinesthetic, which is like you have to do it. Uh, mm. There's a whole range of different ways. Um, and so for me, I'm, I'm very much a doer, right? Which is probably not great if I wanted to be a brain surgeon because, you know, there'd be a lot of failed attempts before I was successful. But in IT, that, that's great. And you do see a lot of uh, hands-on learners. So for me, sitting in front of a whiteboard with someone talking about programming is not exciting for me. I want to be able to touch it, play with it. I want to see the input and the output. I want to get into the nitty gritty of how things actually work. Mm. So from that point of view, yeah, I think if you are a doer type person, you probably, what you're actually looking for is someone to say, hey, I've got some time to sit down and show you how something works. And then from there, it's like a, it's an exponential trajectory. Otherwise, for me also personally, and others may resonate with this, when you start investigating something, there is often quite a lot of manual upfront reading. It takes a lot of time for you to kind of understand, read the documentation. Whereas I would rather someone just spend 10 minutes with me and go, hey, here's how you create a serverless function in the cloud. In fact, mm. I asked one of my teammates how to do that. And he goes, oh, here's how you do it. And then from there, I was like, great. And I had no more questions. So you do need to find an organization that supports your learning style. Mm. I, I, I agree with you. I guess sometimes they, people think that they need to know everything before they can get into a job and that they have to, you know, like you said in those um, sort of descriptions that they have to have experience and they have to have this. And of course that is important. Don't get me wrong. But they can't expect to, to know everything because then what's the point of being into a job that you know everything about before you've actually even completed it. And then going on from that, do the the training that is required will help you upskill you again and again and again until you have the necessary capabilities to then go further out and with both your passion and with both your job to getting further up in an organization. So I guess it's nice to clarify that the students who are looking to get into a job, whether it's in sort of solution cloud engineering, that of course they have to know some stuff, but it's not like I have to know 100% of the job description right out the gate before I can even think about applying for these jobs. And I guess it never hurts to apply, even if you don't. I mean, that's the point we learn. And like you said, you have to have a passion for learning. And I think that people seem to underestimate that ability and that really struggles for some people to really... Um, tap into that vulnerability sometimes. So I'm glad that you're sort of, uh, if I'm getting you right here, of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm glad that you sort of brought up that clarity about having, first of all, that passion outside of the sort of general course descriptions of a university or anything, just to show that you're willing to learn. And then also being able to to know your limits and then being able to work on them because you have to start somewhere. Yeah, and you're, you're bang on. And pro tip, you... <laughs> It came into my mind when you started talking. Uh, pro tip, if, if I'm interviewing two people, and I, I recall this one vividly, mm. I asked someone to explain how an SSL handshake worked. Or actually, I think I said, how does HTTPS work? And can you relate that to uh, the uh, SSL handshake? <laughs> and I got back something that was unintelligible. And I went, this guy this guy is a cybersecurity professional. He's, he's worked in cybersecurity roles before. Uh, so either when I was listening to it, I, I remember thinking either he doesn't know and he's, you know, telling me what he thinks will get him through this question or, you know, he doesn't know it at all. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure which the, the problem with that is I, at that point working with anybody, it doesn't matter whether it's an IT in any industry, you really need to be able to trust that the other person knows what they're talking about and also feels comfortable to say, Hey, I don't actually know. Mm. So back to my original point, if you don't know something, just say, you don't know, mm. um, you know, you might know other parts or you might say, Hey, I don't know this bit, but I know that bit. Uh, and to your next point where you said it doesn't hurt applying for jobs. I think people have a really distinct view on the job application process. You know, you know, in the old days, people used to look at newspapers. Now they go on seek or they, look on, on other um, job advertisement websites. The reality is jobs and the really good ones, often sometimes you, you don't find them that way. You find them by building networks. And in fact, I think my last three or four jobs have all come to me 
through my referral network. So people that I know that I've worked with that have said, hey, there's a job here, uh, we think you'd be great for it. And I think that's where certainly people that want to break into the industry uh, and certainly students, recent graduates need to think slightly outside the box, right? I'm not saying mm. go and bang on you know, the hiring manager's front door and say, give me a job. I'm suggesting maybe that they they could reach out to them on LinkedIn or there's lots of ways that you can uh, you can reach people and start building that network. And then you can also look at going, well, I'm not just going to apply for a job and then not get an interview. You're probably going to be a lot more successful, bearing in mind when job ads go out, you get hundreds of replies mm. and you spend most of your day just going, no, 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 for <laughs> one or more reason. You need to be able to stand out. So by standing out, that's by building that relationship. Because soft skills is, is a very important thing and then you get the ability to practice that by, you know, if someone reached out to me and said, hey, Scott, I've looked at some of your LinkedIn posts. This is cool. I'm working on this. Could you give me some pointers? I'd be more than happy to do that. Mm, definitely. And once again, that's you building your network, testing your soft skills. Uh, there, there's lots of ways to do it. So, and even from that, you could go, well, if there was a job advertised at a particular company you could reach out to people in that company and ask them how is it working there you know those types of questions people are often really willing to help certainly in cybersecurity, i've certainly found that they are if you are very straightforward with your question and say hey this is what i would like are you able to help me with this they, the worst they're going to say is no right mm, <laughs> so, exactly exactly yeah, and i think a lot of people need to remember that and uh, to be fair another pro tip would be that a lot of people are actually missing the soft skills and the application of those soft skills. Um, and that's sometimes tended towards because people that work in IT sometimes like to work by themselves, not so much in a team. Um, but remembering that, especially with cybersecurity, you, you, there's no way you can know everything. And so you are reliant on the team and you have to be able to build those soft skills. You have to be able to communicate. Um, but once again, play, play to the things that work work for you would be my recommendation. Definitely. I guess in a sort of a quick side note, when I was um, fresh out of school, I mean, I don't know if this is potentially the case in the more higher experience jobs, but initially there's now a sort of this online system where computer programs even filter out people's experience and stuff. So it's very difficult to just to just put an application and expect to see these great results when you're not setting yourself apart. I mean, that's why I, for example, went in in person, went to these different stores in my first job, trying to give in my physical CV and talk a bit about myself because that's going to give someone a bit more of an impression than me going on an online application and this computer system going, yep, you have less experience than the next candidate, you're scrapped. So... I definitely feel for um, what you're saying because I've been in that situation uh, myself. So want to sort of now sort of switch gears a little bit and talk about your f first job in the field. I mean, what what was that? Your first official job within the field that you're in? Uh, in cybersecurity. So that Correct. Was, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was for Aura Information Security or Infosec. Uh, and they were a really small startup. I think there might have been four or five people. And I was the first non-shareholding employer. Basically, the others were all founders. And they realized as they were growing, they needed to find new talent. And this is going back quite a while, right? I think we're going back 15 years. And bearing in mind, cybersecurity is a very fledgling industry. It's grown massively over the last 15 years, which is mm. awesome to see because it's very important. And people are, you know, now starting to realize when, you know, your bank accounts are being drained and you get scam calls and all that kind of stuff, people do are taking it more seriously. But back in the day, yeah, it was it was a very very fledgling industry, so it was very hard to find people. Mm -hmm. And I was just very lucky that this company that had been hired to come and validate my findings that I'd provided them in a pen test essentially just copied and pasted my my report and put some screenshots in it and then hired me. I was like, well, this is this is the easiest <laughs> job you ever. Um, but yeah, so I was hired as a as a penetration tester. We probably call them ethical hackers now. It's slightly better terminology that I <laughs> I don't really like the name penetration tester. And if you tell your friends that and they don't know what kind of job you do, yeah, you, you might be in some trouble. <laughs> um, I just say I test pens, right? Yeah, that's better. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so I worked for them for a number of years. Um, mm -hmm. Essentially ran security consulting engagements, um, lots of network and web application penetration tests. There was lots of advisor and consulting parts to that too. Mm. Uh, I also helped build uh, essentially a distributed uh, web vulnerability scanner, which we ran for customers as a managed service. 
Uh, yeah, and that, that, that's essentially my first part of the job. Um, I really enjoyed working there as well. And I, like I said, talking to uh, the point that I made earlier around having someone that can mentor you and show you, like I'm quite a self-sufficient learner and I, I quite like that about myself. And I also quite like working by myself. I'm currently sitting at home by myself, not in the office. Mm. So for me, having someone that was there that I could ask questions of, uh, and his name was Mark Keegan, uh, and I really, really appreciate Mark's time and effort that he put into me, which obviously he may, must have seen something, hopefully, uh, <laughs> that he thought would pay off in the long yeah, run. Definitely. And yeah, so for me, yeah, for me, it was was actually a, a very, uh, it was a, was a great experience. Uh, and it gave me a lot of uh, insight because being a developer, right, you only see the languages that you learn. Being a pen tester, you get thrown everything. So I've, I've seen almost every language, so many databases, uh, all sorts of good, bad, and in between. I can tell you that I've seen some absolute shockers of security vulnerabilities over the career, over my career. Uh, but you know, I, I actually look back with very fond memories on that time. Mm, and in, ter- in terms of what you're saying about your experience and exposure and insight, what was what was the initial impression of of the field in general? Did you have any preconceived ideas and how those may have been changed as you've got in, into this official role, especially as a um, an ethical hacker? Yeah, so if I look back, I think being fairly naive to the industry, uh, it felt very, and this was also because there wasn't a lot of media coverage, not a lot of people knew about it. It didn't really affect many people 15 years ago. So it did feel a little bit like, you know, dark, secretive, wear a hoodie, you know, lots of green matrix type text flying up on the screen. Uh, Now looking back, I'm, I'm actually really glad to see where the industry's come. Um, for a range of reasons, A, because people are invested in it. Businesses are more in, interested in uh, solving their cybersecurity challenges. Uh, from the end user's point of view, that's great because my data is now technically, and I'm throwing up air quotes right now, more secure. Um, but also even on the flip side, and it's probably an area that we, we're not going to cover, but in the early days, there was very little law around you know, what was legal, what wasn't legal. Now it's, very, it's, it's a lot more defined and i think in the early days there were there were some real notable cases where people were trying to do the right thing actually in fact it's um there was one here in australia many years ago where someone who was a security researcher went onto a website uh, found that they could change their account number and see everyone else's details i won't talk about the industry or anything like that that was in it was an australian company and instead of he responsibly disclosed it to them and instead of you know, them going, hey, thanks, we're going to go and fix that. Here's some money. Well, he probably didn't even want the money, right? What actually happened is the AFP turned up on his front door. So from my point of view, I'm really glad that, you know, things have changed and responsible disclosure is now a thing. Uh, there are bug bounties. Businesses are, you know, go moving away from the old paradigm of, oh, well, it's our castle. You know, you can't even look in the window to, well, actually, it's going to happen whether we like it or not. Mm. And so there's a, at least we can enable the people that want to do the right thing to do the right thing without potentially having, you know, nasty repercussions. Nobody wants the AFP banging on their front door. Of course, of course. And sometimes, you know, people make those things in good faith, but, it, you know, it can always backfire. Um, and in terms of that, would, is there anything that you would say you regret in through your career path that you wish you could have changed earlier, the wish you could have um, modified to have gotten uh, in a different, slightly different direction or uh, excel further? Or is there not really a quantif- quantifiable uh sort of approach it's more just you've had these experiences and now you you're here where you are now and you wouldn't change a thing what's your what's your uh thoughts on those yeah that's a really good one i think i'm the type of person that doesn't live with regrets Uh, i've made many mistakes in my life i can't say that i've made too many in my in my professional career uh i think okay it's probably not perhaps a regret but it's definitely an inflection that not every company is going to be suitable for you or you're not going to be like you're not going to gel right and that can be for a range of reasons uh i think being able to identify that early is something that would be would be useful um and look i've I've enjoyed working at every place and you've always got to take the good with the bad but at some point you need to be able to go okay i need to progress my career or i want to change tact 
I think, think a lot of people get comfortable where they are and they get afraid of the unknown and, oh, well, if I start looking for a job and I, what if I lose my current job, you know, or there's, there's a whole range of things. I think if I look back, probably one of the things that I would tell a younger version of myself is, yeah, look, I was always one to strive to do better, to learn new things. And in fact, oh, I really like that. I think one of the bits would definitely be that, you know, there is no real fear. You know, your job, job security is what you perceive it to be. And I've worked in permanent full-time roles and I've worked in contract roles and some of those contract roles are only six months. And surprisingly, if you're good and you like, you know, you, you like trying new things, contract roles can be really great. So I think one of the things, yeah, I would definitely have told myself is don't be afraid of those. Even if they are only for six months, chances are it's going to be extended. Uh, if you, if, it also means that if you don't like the place, you can also leave. So if you're not really sure, you could take a contract. Yeah, that would probably be one of the bits of advice. Um, mm. Other than that, I would definitely say to push myself to do more industry certifications. So up until this year and up until I joined Oracle, I actually had none. <laughs> um, and I think I, I got away with, with it because I had a lot of experience and I had a lot of personal references as well. And so there are lots of people, pretty much every single person I've worked with, I could, could ask to be a reference. And I've been really lucky that they've, they've agreed to that uh, when I've been applying for new positions. But yeah, building that network as well. Um, uh, yeah, definitely building the network and yeah, having your character references, having things that you can point to that you've achieved, whether that's contributing to an open source project. Uh, and like I say, I was I spent a lot of my time learning the job rather than being a little bit more balanced, which would probably be the final thing I'd say. Success comes in a whole range of different ways. And when I was younger, uh, I, for a range of reasons, always chased the money um, because that's what, you know, growing up in, in the family that I did, that's what we valued. And my sister was a lawyer and I there was a lot of pressure on me to be successful. Um, but as you get older, you realize that success isn't just about money. It's about health. It's about well-being. It's about the relationships you have with people outside of work. And so having, having a better balance, I think, would have, would have been better for me as well. Mm. And in terms of that, what do you find most fulfilling about the current role that you do? That's a really good question. Uh, and I do have our answer for it as well. I think when I, when I was younger... Uh, I wanted to, I think I saw the movie Johnny Five, which is very nerdy, uh, <laughs> but um, it's essentially a robot that comes to life after getting struck by lightning. Uh, I loved that movie. Uh, so I wanted to build robots when I was like five and six, and then I grew up a little bit and I wanted to be a veterinarian. And what I realized is I actually wanted to, to do something that made a difference. And I also realized that medical science, I was never, I was a... I was never really passionate enough about medical science or veterinary science to want to go and spend five years and a hundred plus thousand dollars getting a degree to struggle to find a job for forty thousand dollars a year. Uh, so for me, I was like, well, what other options are there to be able to make a difference? And then, yeah, I just was very lucky to kind of fall into the fall into the development space. And anybody can learn to write code. And in fact, it's easier than ever today. Like, if someone wants to become a developer or they want to learn something really the only barrier to them achieving that goal is their own limitations they put on themselves. Um, but sorry, getting back to where I was actually going with that, uh, I think the bit that really sticks with me is you can make a difference, right? And most of the time, cybersecurity is, is so fundamental to everything that we do. We're inextricably tied to cybersecurity, whether that's from, you know, uh, let's, let's use a really simple example, browsing Netflix right through to the food you eat, right? All of those things rely on the internet, making payments, talking to you now over on this. It's, it's all, mm -hmm. it all relies on internet. It all relies on, you know, that being secure. And yeah, with cybersecurity, it, it really does help. And I think you'll find a lot that's, that resonates with a lot of people. If you want to make a difference, you can. And if you want to excel and you want to stand out, you can also do that really well as well. So you mentioned certifications earlier on. Sorry, I'm jumping a bit back and forth here. But what kind? How would I go about getting certifications? If I was a student, what, where would I look at going? How would I obtain necessary certifications for a job role like you have experienced throughout your career pathway? Yeah, that's that's also a really good question, and a lot. I think know a lot of people struggle with this. 
I think before you go looking for certifications, you probably need to understand what you find interesting. And if we're talking, if we limit ourselves to cybersecurity here, there's so many different jobs. And I remember giving a presentation to some, some students a few years ago, and the question was, well, I don't know if I want to be a pen tester or I want to be like, you know, in, in a vendor space building security tooling. I don't, I don't know if I want to be a red teamer. It's funny when you actually talk to talk to these students, everyone goes for what they think is the cool job, right? So everybody, mm. everybody in the, everybody wants to be a red teamer. And so for those of you that aren't familiar with a red teamer, basically a red teamer is a physical penetration tester. Uh, and they do call it a physical pen test. So essentially, instead of, you know, trying to break into things over the internet, you're actually trying to break into things in real life. So buildings, it involves, you know, there's dumpster diving, there's um, uh, wireless access issues, you've got wireless cards, you know, um, RFID tag cards. There's a whole range of different things, but the, the idea is that you leverage the same skills that you would apply to breaking into a, uh, like a technical system into the real world. But everyone thinks that's cool. Unfortunately, that's not something that you just pick up off the bat. I think you have probably need five years and you'd have to be very good and want spend a lot of time um, developing your skills because physical security, you're now dealing with physical security systems and people and social engineering. So there are a range of different things there. Um, but like I said to these, these kids a couple of years ago, I said uh, there are jobs outside, still cybersecurity related. Uh, sales is one of them. Right. And so maybe I'm not <laughs> resonating with your listeners right now, but, you know, cybersecurity sales, there is a big market for salespeople. So we're talking perhaps more people that are aligned to uh, certain personality traits that perhaps better with the soft skills, aren't as interested in the technical side, but still find it fascinating, but don't really want to be hands on the tools. That's a great career path as well. Uh, and there's all the other aspects around in cybersecurity, all the diff different roles, project management, there's managers, there's a whole range of different things. See, when we talk about cybersecurity, you don't have to be sitting in a hoodie tapping at your keyboard at 50, 50 million miles an hour. Uh, there, there are different different options there. And I think that's where people need to start. Once you understand what you're passionate about, and like I said, there are lots of resources out there and there's lots of training labs. There's lots of, lots of people that give back to the community where you can go and get tools, you can attend courses, lots of the big companies as well provide training material for free. Okay. Uh, so work out what you're interested in. Like for me personally, uh, red teaming, social engineering, I get way too nervous if I had to try and social engineer someone. So I just don't. Mm. <laughs> I don't lie very well. I'm, I'm a dead giveaway. So for me, I know that that's not going to work for me. Um, but definitely I was interested in the breaking into things and understanding how things work. So for me, being a pen tester and also coming from a development background, understanding that um, I kind of know how software is built. So I kind of know the shortcuts that developers take and how they get into the code to then be able to exploit them. And to be fair, actually, the thing that I enjoy the most, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure some of my, if any of my colleagues listen to this, they'll know that the thing that I actually got the most enjoyment about was, and I probably don't now in the same vein as I did when I was younger, was to be able to say, hey, I broke in and write this really awesome report and then be able to give it to someone that was like two or three times my age and go, yep, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then walk up um, yeah. with a smile on my face. It was very satisfying. I, 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 now that I've grown up and I've aged a little bit, I'm, I've never been on the receiving end of one of those, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but I, I can now empathize with people a little more that are in that situation. And that's kind of why now I'm in the security engineering role, uh, because I find that there is kind of a lack of the offensive security side. So the red teaming pen testing side in the blue team area, which is essentially the people that build things that we use. Mm. I guess based on what you sort of said, I mean, it seems like there are a couple of ways you can approach the whole find what's interesting. I mean, one is to sort of look at a higher, like you said, a higher obtainable role. So that means you'd have to go through other roles first to get to where you are. But then maybe during that time, you find that, you know, there's uh, a role below that was quite interesting. And then you find something else or another opportunity opens up. So it might not be the last thing you would necessarily think you'd go to but at least then you get to experience another job description and and uh, sort of find out if you like anything in there and then maybe change direction 
And that's, I feel like that's also entirely plausible. I mean, you don't have to go, I want to be this, I want to be a pen tester in the, in the future. And, and then, you know, just get straight into that job and then just be like, okay, cool. I'm happy. Like you could do a different role beforehand, realize that that's also something interesting and then pivot to depending on what you want. Yeah. Look, you're spot on. And anyone that goes and looks at my LinkedIn profile will notice that I've had a varied range of jobs. Uh, everything from software developer to, to ethical hacker to uh, pre-sales national director. I've done a whole range of things, cloud engineer. Like I say, I've kind of developed the skills over the years that I don't really care what I get called anymore. I think people, when they're starting out, are really, you know, they, they look for a job title and they go, I want to do that. The reality is that when you actually get into the job, there's a lot of other stuff that goes with whatever you think you're going to be doing is probably going to be other stuff that is outside your job role or that you might get pulled into because you have skills in that area. Uh, and th that's great. I also think that people, when they start looking at, uh, when they start looking at jobs, you know, you, if you get a job that's, you know, perhaps as a, as an ethical hacker, let's, let's go back to that. You're not just limited to being an ethical hacker. It's what you get paid for. Right. But outside of that, if you wanted to change career paths and, like I said, it comes back to how you like to learn. Some people like to see it from others. Some people like to learn it by themselves. You could always switch careers fairly mm -hmm. easily. Um, obviously, some moves require some certifications or in the absence of certifications, you probably want to be able to prove that you can do the job. And that's the approach that I've always taken. If I wanted to get into pen testing, which I, I didn't, I was just fortunate. You know, I'd written that report and gave it to a security company that went, well, this is spot on. Um, so cool, we'll, we'll hire you. And in fact, all I'd done is seen another pen test report and gone, oh, I can apply these. And I went and looked at OWASP. So for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's the Open Web Application Security Project. It's basically a, it's free resources created by industry professionals. Uh, it's maintained by industry professionals around how to build, design, and secure um, web applications and APIs on the internet. Mm. And so for me, that was like, hey, I saw it, I did some stuff, I went and changed careers. That's a very shortened version, but it, this, the same approach could apply to anybody wanting to change paths. So, and you often find, like for me personally, I, I'm the type of person that gets bored without a challenge. So in several of the roles, like with Australia Post, like with my, my previous job at Whisper, uh, I was hired as contractor. So I was in to solve a problem. When it went from really difficult to, you know, business as usual, operational day-to-day -day stuff, I realized that I was losing interest. And so for me, I went and, you know, to the point I made earlier, knowing when it's time to leave is also, also something that is really important, but then you just go, cool, well, what's next? And so I've ended up in the cloud engineering space. Uh, and like I said, with Oracle, I've got essentially an endless uh, supply of Lego pieces <laughs> to play with. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point, honestly. And as a cloud solution engineer and talking about challenges, how do you think your industry your specific role as a cloud solution engineer is changing um and how will it change within the next say five to ten years mm. <laughs> i think it's going to get more interesting in the short term and i'm hoping that it'll get easier in the longer term and what do i mean by that so at the moment a lot of customers are still uh still use on-prem stuff we talked about that earlier some customers have multi-cloud or hybrid cloud options so they use on-prem for their you know production they'll use dev test in the cloud or their dr or something like that what i'm going to see is the, the cost to maintain physical data centers is going to go up you know everything's going up at the moment and i see it every night on the news and so i won't talk about it after this but the idea of being able to save on you know basic infrastructure costs by moving to the cloud we'll see more people doing that the problem and as i said is going to get more difficult is most, and I'll, I will be pretty bold and say 80% of organizations that I work with fail to understand the differences between running an on-prem thing to running it in the cloud. They still try and apply on-prem security controls to the cloud or that, yeah, they, they just don't know that things are different. Uh, and I've seen some pretty terrible, in fact, they're in the news too. Uh, everyone can see people's driver's license details going everywhere in buckets because you know, storage in an on-prem environments on a, on a disk somewhere in the cloud, it's an object storage, it can be public. So there are a whole range of things. It's a lot of it is maturity. And once again, to why we get into this industry is we need to be keeping up to date with that stuff. 
but a lot of people in IT don't. They they just go, oh, we'll just lift our on-prem stuff and stick it in the cloud and think that it's going to be secure. So when I say it's getting more difficult, it's just because there's a lack of education and understanding, uh, which is great because I like educating customers. It's I get a real kick and it's, it's almost a bit of an adrenaline rush. Uh, actually talking to customers, certainly ones I've not talked to before that have problems and I kind of have to think on the fly. Once again, that's specific to me and I know not everyone would probably thrive in that kind of environment. Um, but yeah, being able to educate people to the point where they feel comfortable, they know what needs to go on. Uh, so the long term is that most things will be in the cloud. And as tooling and processes and culture uh, and understanding of how to do that securely uh, develops, I think we'll actually see an improvement. Oh, I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> mm, yeah, definitely. That means interesting insight. Um, in terms of your sort of, I guess, looking at future candidates, what kind of, can you give me like three personality types that would be suitable for the role that you are currently in and also perhaps three skills that you think are really crucial and vital for this specific career pathway that you've that you've taken whether it's specifically for cloud solution engineering or the other roles that you've you've part undertaken all right so if we talk about the characteristic traits first i think the characteristic traits need to match you they need to match the company they need to match the job role that you're going into uh so and bearing in mind the culture within the company will is also really important because not all companies look at the same job role in the same way. So a solution engineer in one organization to another organization. And if I compare Oracle to, to Redshield, they're very different roles. My current job is very technical. It's very hands-on. At Redshield, I was actually more customer facing. So bearing in mind that the same job role in different companies, they're not potentially gonna be the same thing. I think from, from personality traits wise, uh, I'm a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, I like, being by myself, I don't get lonely. So although I have a dog and a cat, my partner tells me it's because I'm, I'm lonely, but anyway, <laughs> um, no. So look, I, I'm quite a, I'm an, what they call an extroverted introvert. So I'm quite happy to be by myself and I'm quite happy to be an extrovert for a short period of time. <laughs> so, but I get tired of it. Like, so endless social gatherings for me just bores me senseless. I'd rather go off and do something by myself. Uh, so I think Definitely, other than, you know, perhaps the personable, like, soft skills, people can learn those as well. Um, for some technical people, and I know this reflects a lot uh, in, in the industry, they don't develop those interpersonal skills. So you could be the most technical person, you might know you're right, but you, you can't communicate it with essentially non-technical business people because you may work in an organization where you're just the IT department or in the IT group. Uh, you need to be able to communicate your ideas and your thoughts and get uh, develop influence and buy-in. Uh, I would definitely say developing those uh, as, a, as a characteristic trait. Um, mm. And possibly the last one I'd say is determination. Determination and passion. And I, th I, I link those two together because the determination comes from your passion. And if you really aren't sure, like you need to be able to develop it somehow. And there's a lots of different ways. Like I said, for me early on, it was money. Now for me, it's like, I, I think I wanna give something back, but to be able to give back, I need to be able to uh, develop my brand. I need to, to uh, have people find me and understand who I am and, and how I can help. Those types of things, yeah, do change. But the, the, the passion piece is key because there are gonna be times when you look at stuff and you just go, I can't be bothered. This is just all too hard. Maybe there's, you know, it's not going great in the company or there's friction for whatever reason. Maybe you're on a terrible project and I've worked on those myself where you go, I just want to get through it so I can never have to come back to it again. Uh, it's the passion that will drive that determination. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. I guess if with these kind of jo jobs, you need to have the passion because you, there are definitely jobs out there that will give you the nine to five, do this and you'll be, you'll be fine, you know, as long as you complete the levels and you do it to a decent standard but like you said with these with this job that you currently have and also the sort of career path within cyber you're going to have to do a show a little bit more than just doing the bare minimum of nine to five or at least just going a bit above and beyond in your interest at least to show that that is something that that's capable of progressing further into the industry so i completely get where you're coming from in that sense well, and I, I guess wanna, i do want to add to that though i think yeah um 
what you made a really interesting point around working nine to five. I I do. So just because you want to have a career in cyber, you do not have to work long hours. I have worked long hours uh, and, you know, like back to that whole health piece, there was a time when I was working till three in the morning and I do not recommend anyone does that. Mm. Um, and once again, if I'm looking back, I would go, you know what, this isn't good for my well-being. So I, I did it willingly. I was not forced to do it. So I should make that very clear. But also, yeah, if you want to stand out, you don't have to do wild hours and in fact, I think the, the best way to stand out is to find your niche, develop it, identify gaps in existing processes or tools or technology and work on those. So, and that's, that's why I really love Oracle. There, there are things that I've, I've spotted from my, my industry experience and gone, hey, I can solve that problem. For example, you know, how do you scan for malware when someone uploads something to an object storage bucket? Like, Oracle doesn't do that. Uh, most actually, no cloud provider does it because based on the uh, shared security model, that's a customer responsibility, not an Oracle responsibility because the customer puts it there. So, or the customer's users put it there. So it's not really, we don't care about it. We just ensure that it can't affect the platform and other customers. And so, yeah, look, building things like that going, hey, and people have picked up a lot of the stuff that I've done and said, hey, that's awesome. We're going to use that. And oh, God, that's awesome. I didn't build it for that reason. I built it because I wanted to learn how this worked. But the fact that it applies to someone, I think, and, and people find that useful is really also what I find find rewarding for the job. But that applies to anyone. So standing out is not about working long hours. Standing out is about uh, showing yeah, the passion being able to go, hey, I need some ideas and develop those ideas into something that can be useful. And that doesn't even have to be technical. If we're not talking technical stuff, it could be better process documentation. There's lots of ways to contribute, but contributing in a way that is is meaningful, I think is how you stand out. And that's where having a mentor, where that could be someone in your team, your manager, it could be someone external to give you these ideas is uh, is definitely, definitely really helpful. Mm. You learn, you learn something new every day, honestly. And in particular, though, I've learned so much about about your sort of experiences and tips for this career path and this sort of expand expansive industry. So thank you so much for coming on and speaking with us today. I think the audience and myself have learned so much. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Aki. I really appreciate it. This has been another KBI Media Production.